Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sarah McDilling, Kids and YA Category Manager at Booktopia, and I am pretty much over the moon to be talking today with best-selling author Lynette Noni about her soon-to-be-published book, The Gilded Cage. Lynette, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get into it, we should probably just telegraph early on for, for people um, listening that we may probably very well likely slip some some spoilers in for book one, The Prison Healer. I think it's really hard to discuss book two without letting some information slip from book one. So if you're a person who doesn't like to be spoiled and you haven't yet read The Prison Healer, just consider yourself warned. <laughs> With that said, for everyone listening, could you just tell them a little bit about The Gilded Cage and what they can expect in this book? Oh, okay. So... In The Prison Healer, we follow a 17-year-old girl who's been locked in a death prison for 10 years, and then she's suddenly given the chance to earn her freedom, um, and the cost could be her very life. Now, we learn at the end of that book that the cost wasn't her very life. She managed to survive these impossible magical trials, and she's managed to... uh, Now we're entering complete spoiler territory because I can't really talk about the second book without this part, but she's now managed to escape the prison. So... The opening of The Gilded Cage is a couple of weeks after the end of The Prison Healer. She's been out in the real world for a few weeks um, and she's finally found her way to the capital city uh, called Valenia. And she is there um, and another, you know, it is actually really hard to talk about this book without spoiling the first book. So for anyone listening, really, truly stop listening if you haven't read the first book. Um, but so she's staying at the palace with the royal family. And so in her mind, her she's desperate to find her family, who she hasn't seen for 10 years. Um, but she also has... She has this problem where she is, um, you know, everything she's learned from the first book, everything we've learned about her, she now has this dual nature of wanting to find her family and wanting this vengeance for all this horrible stuff that's happened to her, while also slowly falling in love with the people who she's meant to hate. Um, And so the entirety of this book is her uh, trying to figure out what to do and what is right and what is wrong. And if the first book was about Kiva learning to trust other people and letting people into her life, This book is about her learning to trust herself and to trust her instincts and to make decisions that um, leave her in in really, really horrible, challenging uh, situations where really no one can kind of win and she just has to decide what is the best outcome. So that's probably the vaguest way I can explain this book. Um, Her overarching mission is to find her family, to connect with them and to decide what to do. That sounds so like like a nothing book. There's a lot of political uh, problems that happen in this book. There's a lot of, um, we learn uh, towards the end of The Prison Healer that Kiva herself has magic and uh, she's having some problems with that in this second book because it is starting to burst out of her uncontrollably and absolutely no one can learn that she has magic. It's like a death sentence. So she's trying to hide that and learn to control that. So all these little things all become this one book that I can't tell you anything about. <laughs> in case anyone listening to that thought it sounded like and I'm quoting you directly, a nothing book. I can attest, having read it, it's definitely not a nothing book. So much goes on in this book. It is incredibly rich and um, juicy and full of all of the emotions. Oh, thank you. (laughs) When you were last time, I guess, on the podcast to talk about The Prison Healer, we spoke about how challenging and sort of difficult it is to write um, plot twists when you're writing in the first person and that 
and the main character is the one holding the secrets. Um, in this book, you know, Kiva, as you said, you know, a spoiler for book one, um, her cards are on the table now with the reader. She has uh, revealed her secrets to the reader, but she has not revealed them to all of the other characters. So now you set yourself this challenge of writing an entire book where the main character is put in this position of having to kind of deceive. Um, was that as challenging for you as the challenge you set yourself in book one? It was a different kind of challenge because by this stage I've fallen in love with the characters and so I'm just like, just communicate with each other, you know, like I just wanted to scream at them and be like, just trust them with your secrets, it'll be okay. And then I'm like, well, actually it may not be okay so I can see why you're not trusting them with your secrets and um, it's really complicated and it was really hard and I went into this book having to, uh, into writing this book with a lot of questions like my initial gut instinct I actually know that's not true my uh, not my gut instinct because I would have gone with it if it was my my thought was I should have like a problematic royal family who are not good people and so it's really easy to hold secrets from them because you don't want them to know these things but as I was writing it I was like I don't think that's what these people are I think they are actually good people who do good the best that they can do and that just added another challenge for Kiva because then she's got the question of why would I be trying to bring down this family who is actually, you know, not doing all that, anything really terrible, um, except what they've done to me personally. And so how do I justify my own actions? And, um, and so a lot of that, it was really hard to maintain her secrets. And there are times when Kiva, you know, where you kind of feel like, you know, she's really struggling with, with not telling people. And especially as, as certain people as you know like Jaron who was the love interest who we learned in the first book as he starts to tell her his secrets and she's she's learning all this stuff about him that's really really dangerous and she's just holding her in secrets back the whole time I just part of the time I just wanted to shake her and I know that's crazy because I wrote her so I could have at any point <laughs> you know made her reveal these secrets but but at the same time, there is a lot riding on her secrets. They are treasonous secrets and they have a death sentence if they go to the wrong person at the wrong time. And so, you know, um, there really is a lot, a lot that she's dealing with. And at the end of the day, I also have to try and keep in mind that she's 17 years old and she's been locked up since she was seven. She has no idea how to handle any of this. You know, she is, um, she might be really worldly in some ways in survival instincts and in, in having managed to live through some horrific circumstances, but she has no outside knowledge of how to handle real life. So her having to deal with all of that and, and the emotional turmoil of it, it was really, it was really hard to hold those secrets. Um, especially as you said, as the reader, we know. Um, and so then it was also, I guess that therefore made it a challenge for me. Um, I read a book recently, so it wasn't my book, but there was recently uh, a book that I read and within the first couple of chapters, I, I, you know, when you can just figure out what the secret is and yeah. I was just, it started to just bug me and I was like, just hurry up and reveal it on page. Cause we know as readers what it is. So just make it clear what it is. Um, and so my problem coming into the Gilded Cage was knowing that readers already know and knowing that the other characters don't know. So trying to not make it annoying for readers until they reach that point where everyone knows. So that was difficult and I hope I hope I pulled that off but we'll see. <laughs> well no this is why I bring it up because I'm kind of in awe of the way you did nail that. It's funny that you said you felt like shaking Kiva because <laughs> I mean as a reader so did I but ordinarily when this kind of thing happens in a book 
and their main character is deceiving people. It's common as in a lot of romances because the complication is often secrets being held in. I find it really difficult because when I get to that point where I want to shake the character, I often feel frustrated because their reasons for holding the secret don't feel enough. And so therefore all of their actions just feel annoying. And I never, like you watch this razor thin line with Kiva because I never didn't understand why she was still holding the secret. Like it always felt, yeah, in that position, I'd hold it too, but I wish she wouldn't. And like... <laughs> Like having those two things at war with each other through the whole book is really the meat of this story and you did it so well. Oh, thank you. I think it comes back to the fact that like, I mean, as a reader of these books, even though I wrote them, I think it does come back to the fact that we care so much about the other characters and that's why we want her to tell them so that everyone can be happy and holding hands and it's sunshines and that's why you want to shake her and tell her to just tell them and trust them and that it'll be okay. But again, there's that little voice that's like, but will it? Will they handle it? This is not a good secret to have. And so, yeah, it's 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 tough, tough to read and tough to write. And just from the writing perspective, I just had to, you know, I just had to, it was almost like, and I know this, these secrets that we're talking about weren't, um, you know, really in line with the romance, but it was like I had to make it a slow burn secret reveal instead of a slow burn romance. So there's that as well, because I knew that if there is a time and a place for everything and this, this, this secret, you know, it couldn't be revealed until it's right time. And that I knew I was building up to that, but oh, the journey is painful. <laughs> But like deliciously painful. It's so good. <laughs> such a good read. I didn't actually think it would be possible for you to like destroy me as a reader the way you did in book one in book two, <laughs> but you did it. So I guess my question yeah. is, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, this isn't going to make you feel any better. But so the first few books, um, you know, they are set like that, like the first book in particular is set in a death prison. It's quite dark. There are triggering themes and yet there's nothing that's so triggering that we thought we needed a trigger warning or anything on the book. They're everywhere online, but you know, the book doesn't need that. The Gilded Cage is a little bit lighter purely because it is set outside of this horrible nightmare death place. Um, there are still, you know, a lot of more mature themes, but it's not like constant, fear of anything horrible happening to you, except for all those secrets coming out and the problems that come with that. Where I'm going with this is to make you feel better, which won't make you feel better at all. Um, But I've just finished writing and editing The Blood Trader, which is the third book in the series. And I've actually added my own trigger warning at the beginning of that book, um, purely because the themes, especially the mental and emotional themes um, that the main character, especially Kiva has to go through, but a lot of the characters, it's just, it's just I wanted to take a little bit of extra care, given um, certain elements that happen in the Gilded Cage, that people know going into it that, okay, cool, we've had a rough journey to get here, but it's got to get a little bit worse before it gets a little bit better. So, um, yeah, that's that. If I to answer your question of if I want to destroy my readers, no, no, but I. I want them to feel, <laughs> to feel what the characters go through, and then I want to bring all readers into good places as well that sounds so like you know like la 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 let's hug um but I just mean like even in the prison hill the whole point was in this dark horrible place there are still moments of light and there are still moments of hope so I still want that in all the other books as well um 
but yes, I don't want to like destroy, destroy anyone, but I want you to feel connected to the books and, and, and for them to, I guess, be memorable enough that you have these moments where you can say, yeah, I hate you, but I loved it, but I still hate you. <laughs> yeah. Like, how dare you? But yeah, also, exactly. Can I have some more, please? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right now, I need it right now. <laughs> yeah, well, mission accomplished because I feel like that's definitely what you've done. Okay. Um, there are a great cast of new characters in book two, or in some cases, characters we've briefly seen um, in book one that are getting a bit more of a spotlight in book two. Um, so I wondered if you could just sort of give listeners a taste of who they will be meeting in this book, in particular, my favourite. Who is Calden? Oh, Calden's my favourite too. So we meet Calden in the first book. We kind of don't know that he is Calden. He's um, masquerading as Prince Deverick, um, who he is not. Uh, but so we meet him briefly in the infirmary and he's just this kind of cavalier, rogue, flirt kind of... Kiever is not impressed. Let's just, you know, she's <laughs> just like, I don't... just dude stop get away from me um she doesn't say it like that that's that's contemporary speak for how she would have spoken it's the vibe <laughs> yeah yeah um so calden came crashing into the second book quite literally i think in the first chapter or second chapter um and uh, i won't say why or how but he you know kiva still has quite a low opinion of this guy and um mostly because she is trying to distance herself from the royal family like she you know she has a very good reason to not want to like any of them and so you know it's hard enough that jaren's managed to wiggle his way into into her heart um and so she won't let anyone else do that but calden is like this little fungus um and he just he's he's so impossible not to like because he's a character who just He's just blatantly himself. Like he is, he's flirtatious, but then he'll do this 180 and he'll just see that he's so smart and he's so cunning and he's so switched on. But then he'll go back to this really lighthearted banter kind of, yeah, I don't care about anything. And so it kind of leaves Kiva on her toes about who he is and therefore all these readers kind of wondering it too. And he has, and then you find out this like backstory to him that kind of makes you realize, okay, he's got a few more dimensions to him than I thought he did. He's not just this shallow princely, Ponzi guy he's you know there is depth here and so um I really enjoyed fleshing out his character I really enjoyed um growing the friendship between him and, Ka and Kiva I just thought it was such a there's such a purity to their friendship that is completely platonic and just so um um just supportive and encouraging um and you know obviously very for a long time it's very reluctant on Kiva's part but it's clear that you know he he is really not gonna let her not be his friend <laughs> kind of thing um so he's probably my like honestly my favorite character definitely of the series and possibly that i've ever written like he's just very special to me um but other characters you know you start to meet kiva's family her her brother terrell and her sister zalika and so i really enjoyed meeting them um and I say that because they're not in the first book at all. I had no idea what their characters would kind of be like. I really, I really love her brother. He's so protective. He's so caring. And her sister is really prickly and she's had a really hard life. And she's, um, you know, like almost the opposite of the brother, which is really interesting because they both grew up in the same situation, um, you know, together for those 10 years that Kiva wasn't with them and to see their natures be so different, but to see that they both have such big hearts in different ways. 
Um, so they were also really fun to meet. The royal family in general, uh, Jaren's, uh, Jaren's parents. Um, you get to know his sister a bit more as well. There's another healer who Kiva meets. Her name is Rosinda. Um, and she, yeah, Kiva meets her at Silverthorn Academy, which we also meet in this book. It's a healing academy uh, where Kiva gets to sort of dip her toes in and out a little bit. Um, not She's not studying there, but she gets to sort of visit a bit and maybe steal a few things if she might need use of their medicines or certain things um so yeah i there's quite a few new characters but they're also really quite limited as well the only main there's only two new main characters and that would be calden who we spoke about and and res uh, resinda but she has more of a minor main role same as the brother and sister minor main roles if that makes sense i was obsessed with calden but by the end of, well, I mean, very early, probably in Gilded Cage, to be honest, he was like the breakup star of, of yeah. this book. And part of the reason I really love him, like you've made him very charming and very lovable. So that's why I love him. But also just from a tactical point of view, I love the way his character, you know, when you're reading a YA fantasy trilogy and an extremely charming, roguish character shows up, you we are trained from like the tropes we see so often to immediately think love triangle. <laughs> and instead we get to watch this beautiful friendship develop between them that is just a hundred percent platonic and really like it's a it's friendship goals, like in terms of writing a developing friendship that's really interesting and um, as you said happening completely against Kiva's will. <laughs> um, so like, I just wondered in your creation of the character, were you intentionally trying to kind of set up that expectation and subvert the love triangle angle? I mean, I guess I was intentional in the way I knew that it would never become a love triangle. I, I don't love love triangles. They kind of, I'm just not a big fan of reading them. They, they stress me out a little bit. I always, you know, you always know who's going to be the person that the person ends up with. And if you end up starting to like both of them, then someone ends up losing and you always feel bad for that person. But most of the time, you know, it's just annoying, unnecessary angst while you're waiting for it to happen. And it also can drown out the actual important adventure of whatever story you're reading because it can kind of eclipse everything. And then that's like, well, what's happening to the actual saving of the world if you're talking about a book that's like that? Um, and if it's just a general contemporary one, it just then also just becomes the whole plot and you're just waiting for them to just figure out what you already know is going to happen. So hurry up and get there. Um, I obviously have very strong feelings about love triangles. So <laughs> I, yeah, I knew, I knew obviously in my mind that it was never going to become that. Um, there may have been a moment where I could have thought about it. Um, there is a scene I don't want to talk about, I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's a scene where Kiva does something that really upsets Calden, uh, justifiably really upsets Calden, and she knows that she went too far and she goes to apologise to him and they have a bit of a, a moment. But, you know, it's not a romantic moment at all. And, um, and I remember after I'd written that non-romantic moment, I thought if I wanted to turn this into something, this is where I would start to guide it in another direction. And I was like, 
this is just too beautiful what they have. This is just this relationship. It is so healthy. It is so, uh, um, so important for, for me to write, but for people to read and to know that it's okay to have these relationships that are never going to become romantic. Um, and that's just, that's part of life. I think, I hope most of us have friends, um, but we're never going to, you know, it's not even going to cross our minds. And if it does, it's like, a, oh, you know, like, a, don't stop. <laughs> um, and so with Calden, yeah, I think, I mean, the other aspect to it is Kiva, Kiva's heart is already claimed by someone else. Even if she's fighting it with every part of who she is, even if she's denying it, like there is no room left for her to be in love with someone else when she's trying so hard to not be in love with the person who she is in love with. So, you know, it's, she, she doesn't have room, um, I guess, you know, she doesn't have, she doesn't need an extra challenge of loving two people in that way. Um, and I think Calden himself, he would never, you know, he doesn't look at Kiva like that. Like he's not, she's more like an annoying baby sister, even though he's not that much older than her, but he just kind of like, he kind of just, you know, pat on the head kind of friendship. Like, it's okay, you'll get through this, you'll be fine, you know, or, or actually he also doesn't hold back from yelling at her and getting angry at her when she does something like wrong and bad, like he'll keep her in check. And, um, and I think that's also important too. So, I mean, I could go on for hours about how much I love this character in a, in a way that's a bit weird because it's like I'm fangirling on my own character, but he's just, he just came alive. Um, and he just really threw himself into my path in a way. And, and I say that, you know, knowing even more than you do, cause I know what happens in the third book and it's just, <sighs> I just, I just love him. And so I love that he doesn't have a love triangle. I love that Kiva and he are just so, so Kiva and Calvin. And that's kind of it. <laughs> it's a joy. It's a joy of this book because the book is deeply romantic. Um, and I think when you, when you write a book that is as deeply romantic as these two books are, platonic friendships can often be sidelined. So in this book, Completely not. I feel like the the care and the emotional payoff of the relationship between Cowden and Kiva is just as dramatic and um, propulsive through the story as the romance is. And I don't that just doesn't happen that often. I think even thinking of it now that you've said that, she probably has just as much on screen on page time with Cowden as she does with with Jaren. So you know, it's like two very different relationships but both are such a focus and I mean then of course we have like Tip who's another different kind of relationship and obviously yeah. he's 11 so that's not going to be a romantic relationship but you know and then we have her with her with Rosinda who's the new like a new female friend and it was and Nari of course Nari. <laughs> it's interesting to write her from a different perspective now too because now that they're out of the prison Nari has you know she has a job and her job is to protect Jaren. Um, and so, um, you know, following that, so knowing that Nari can't just be a friend who can hang out and have fun times, Nari's, you know, there, you know, so it was writing all these different, they're all different relationships. And I think that really helped amplify each of those relationships because they were all so unique. And um, it was really, it really was a joy to write. And I really enjoyed that. Well, 100% a joy to read. You've given your readers actually a real treat in just in the schedule of this series in releasing the books so quickly you're so good to us <laughs> um, it's just, I'm especially thankful because I don't deal that well with agonizing cliffhangers and you are proving yourself to be 
the high empress of agonizing cliffhangers. Um, so I just wondered what has it been like for you in terms of the pressure of turning these books around so quickly and also as a sub-question, when can we expect book three? <laughs> <laughs> well, sub-question answered is I believe um, The Blood Trader, which is the final book, I believe it's coming out in June next year, so eight months from now. Um, I'm not sure if that's penciled in or not. I was kind of early on told it would be six months, so anywhere between six to eight months, but everything online is saying June, so I don't want to tell you six months in case it has been changed to June. Um, and that could purely just be a scheduling thing so it doesn't clash with other books that are coming out at certain times. I don't really... Uh, I don't really get clued in on the logistics of how a specific release date is chosen. I know that the book is, you know, it's written, it's just uh, completed its second round of edits. So it's basically done now. It just has the final, um, final couple of rounds of minor, like copy editing and proofreading to go, which is very exciting. And then it's the baby's just, it just does its marketing thing and it just sits and waits until it's printed. So <laughs> it's usually like a six month gap of before, like of a book being completely done before it actually goes out. And it's always a really weird time because I move on to something and then six months later, I suddenly have to remember what I'm promoting. And I, like now with The Gilded Cage, like I finished writing this book, I don't know, a year ago and finished editing and everything at the beginning of this year. And now it's like, oh, oh, what is the book about? Right, now I need to talk about that. <laughs> Um, so yes, June, let's say June next year for the release. Um, but if that changes and it's earlier, I will certainly be letting people know. Um, and as for what the pressure was like, that was, that was a challenge. And that was a challenge that was amplified because of COVID and the pandemic and everything, which no one could have predicted when I signed on to have these as an accelerated release. Um, because I got all these publishing offers at the end of 2019 and obviously, you know, the world hadn't stopped at that point. Um, and so it's been, you know, there's been a lot of like immense, like mental and emotional challenges with that. The physical challenges, I got really sick um, and it's just, it's been, it's been hard and the deadlines have, you know, have been really hard and really, really tight and especially coming in. I mean, I thought writing the second book was the hardest thing I'd ever had to do in my life, in my career. Um, but it does not come like it doesn't begin to compare to the third book and everything in that book, um, which I think is also partly why I wrote the trigger warning at the beginning of the book is because it is a it was it I had to delve into some really dark places to create that book, um, given certain things that happen in the second book and uh, and that was a really hard place for me to be in mentally and I knew that if it was affecting me that much it might affect readers that much. And so I don't want to scare anyone off it. It's obviously, it's fine. It's still YA. It's still like, you know, if you get to the point that you've enjoyed the series enough to want to read the third book, you'll be totally fine with it. It's nothing outside of that realm. And it's actually probably a lot less than some of the stuff that you've seen in the first book. Um, it's just a different kind of like, whew, this hits me in the feels kind of thing. Oh um, but you also move past it, you know, reasonably quickly. So it's all fine. Um, but that was really hard, a hard place to write from um, because you might read a really difficult scene in 10 minutes, but it might take me days to write that scene and I have to stay in that headspace while that horrible thing is happening. And I have to, you know, so that was really difficult. And plus I had a lot of life things happen. I lost my agent halfway through drafting and then that was a big kerfuffle. And then that sounded really morbid. She's, she's fine. Um, like I didn't lose, lose her. Like we had to part ways. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> So I should clarify that. Um, and there were some problems with deadlines and just a lot of things changing. And, um, you know, so it was, 
it was really hard and I don't want to sugarcoat that. I know, you know, I know that a lot of people will be like, oh, just buck up and tell everyone it's good and it's fine. But I know that there are writers listening to this podcast and you need to be aware that the realities of this career are not always going to be good things. Like this is my dream. I love, I love it so much, but there are some really, really hard days and any author will tell you the same thing. So unfortunately there were a lot more hard days this year than there have been in other years, but I'm still here. And I still, you know, when I look back, I'm just so proud of, of how far I've come and what I got through and what I, what I've produced really. These books are unlike anything that I've ever managed in the past as well, because I really had to do the trial by fire, so to speak. Um, not my like elemental magical trial by fire, but like the metaphorical <laughs> trial by fire um, in order to, to, to write them so quickly and to, to produce them so fast and with so few errors because the timelines were too tight to allow for any big problems. And so I think the pressure of knowing that, that I had to do a good job. Um, well, that's not true. I, I put that on myself of wanting to do a good job for my readers to enjoy the books. But there was also the pressure of knowing that this is my biggest series to date it's been sold into numerous you know like 13 14 15 other countries you know it's been it's it's out globally it's and it's just kind of like oh oh there's a lot of people wanting you know a good follow-up book I need to make sure I do that so a lot of pressures and a lot of voices I have to kind of silence in order to just focus and do it and that's when it helps me remember that I love what I do and that's what I have to try and just sit into that spot and remember, okay, I do this because I love it. I do it because I love these characters and I love this world and I want what's best for them, which will hopefully become on the page what people love to read as well. So we will see. Well, I think, I mean, as you say, I think for writers to hear that is important, but I think for readers as well, because you, this is not something that a lot of people are able to do. It doesn't happen that often that you can get three books released over the course of essentially like a year right or a little bit over a year um so it's it's a and it sounds as though it was very difficult so I think letting readers know that they're getting spoiled <laughs> is a good thing. spoiled in the other way spoiled as in treated very nicely not as in um spoilers uh so this is kind of a cheeky question you don't have to answer this one if you if you prefer not to but you mentioned so earlier we spoke about how book one is kind of a bit of a it's like a survival story it's trials that she has to undergo book two is the very court intrigue um are you able to sort of give a vague vibe on what book three is oh book three um i mean it is i it, it is it <laughs> I'm like speechless because it is so um I mean it's so epic in a sense it is so there is so much adventure there is so much um pain <laughs> like there is like emotional pain there is so much it really does uh, you know it almost goes back to that survival but a different kind of survival now and also like a, a way of um it's almost a reckoning, I guess, you know, after what we've learned, what we've had to get through to get to where we are, to the decisions that Kiva has had to make to then go forward into that knowledge and to burst through it into what's going to actually finish the series. It is, it is that reckoning of figuring out who she is, what she wants and what she's going to do about making it happen 
against all odds and against all adversaries. And, and I say that with the, you know, there's a lot that even at the end of this second book, you might have ideas of what the third book could be about. And you really have no clue. Like I, when I wrote it and I sent it to my editors, um, I just had to have like a note at the beginning, say, don't even bother reading the synopsis I gave you at the beginning of this series, because nothing that I wrote actually happens in this book. Everything changed. Um, there was, and that's purely because when I was editing the Gilded Cage, there's this one line I edited, added to the end of the, the Gilded Cage. And I remember it just made me sit back and go, oh my gosh. And, and it's a line that so means nothing in the Gilded Cage. But in my head, I was like, that is the biggest, most awful twist that I could add to any book I would ever add. And it just opened up this entire new plot line um just a really innocent line in this book you won't even know what it is and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you because i know you'll like like agonize over what it is um but yeah it made me realize that the entire my entire thought process for the third book had just gone out the window and so everything in that book is so um it's just just so much happens like at one point i was halfway through and i'm like this might need a fourth book like it might it might go beyond a trilogy and i was like oh i don't know if anyone's gonna be okay with it like readers i know would be okay with it but i'm like i'm contracted number three books i don't know how to extend that to a fourth book um and so instead this all this epic craziness is ends up in one book and it's just um yeah there is a lot of a lot of stuff that happens so if I had to do the one word, I would say reckoning. Let's say that. <laughs> wow. That just sounds epic. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm out the other side of the Gilded Cage, so it's hard. For, I've got blinkers on for Blood Trader. All I can think about is Blood Trader. trader. But for, for the readers, Gilded Cage is about to be out in the world and um, they should all brace themselves for a wild ride. Uh, we've gone a little bit over time. I could keep talking to you for hours about this, honestly. <laughs> but Lynette, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. It's been, it's always awesome to chat with you, Sarah. <laughs> oh, my heart. Um, and for everyone listening, you can grab your copy of The Gilded Cage by Lynette Noni, as well as a copy of The Prison Healer and all of Lynette Noni's amazing backlist at, at your local bookstore or online at Booktopia. Thank you for listening and never stop. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.